I, uh, if you remember last week, we, uh, we talked about the symptoms and the signs of spiritual slumber in our lives, and, uh, and I kind of left you hanging last week. Um, we talked about the symptoms, we talked about, you know, the causes, and then well, what do I do now, right? Um, and I, uh, I encouraged you to, to sit with those symptoms with the Holy Spirit and, and let Him speak to you. He can do more in your heart than I can. I mean, everything that happens in your heart, He does, right? Um, and, uh, and so, <clears throat> today we're, we're talking about prognosis, right? Where do we go from here? This is our, our kind of our foundational, we're not going to spend much time in this today, but this is kind of our, our anchor verse for this series. So we're going to, I'm going to read it. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And I believe, I, I've, I've, uh, since I've started this series, since the Lord led us into this, um, picked up uh, some some kind of YouTube messages from other churches around uh, around the world, around North America, in the last couple of weeks, and and I, this is this is not the only place where this message is the the Holy Spirit is speaking this. Uh, this is this is a clarion call, a trumpet call to the church in this season to wake up, and I believe it's because. Um, we don't want to be found sleeping. And it's because there is a great and vital work to be done before Jesus returns. And, uh, and so we need to hear the call in our spirits and we need to be awakened. Um, so today we're talking about prognosis of, from a, a spirit of slumber. Is there hope? For us, if we're not fully awake to God's purpose for our lives, and is there hope? Well, let me say first of all this morning, and I'll, I'll circle back to this at the end of the message. But your prognosis depends on you, because the Holy Spirit wants to awaken you, wants to empower you, wants to strengthen you, wants to flow through you wants your life to count for His kingdom. Um, and it's, it's not how hard we work. It's how much we surrender to the work of the Spirit. Right? So I want to start, where we're going to start this morning. <laughs> Faithful wounds. Faithful wounds. Surrender to the scalpel of the Lord. Uh, 
Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, if I was just to ask you straight out, would you rather, would you rather be criticized or would you rather be built up? All of us would say, oh, I'd rather be built up, right? But it depends on the source. That's what this, this proverb says. That if there is a friend who loves you as much as they love themselves and they see something that they know is harmful to you and they speak a challenging word to you, maybe even a corrective word to you, that is more loving than all of the words of flattery from someone who doesn't give two hoots about your life. And especially someone who wants to destroy you. The enemy will flatter you into sleep. But the Lord wants to do surgery. And will we say yes to the scalpel of the Lord and allow Him to do His work in us? Folks, if, if you have... you got to... I don't know, a tumor on the side of your head. I don't wish that on anyone. But if you had a tumor on the side of your head and it was life-threatening and the doctor said we can remove it, surgery, it'll be, it'll be a difficult surgery, but we can remove it, no problem, and you'll have a long life. But it's going to be painful. It's going to require some recovery and, you know, I mean, you'd be foolish to say, oh, just, I don't want any knives to touch me. Just keep it away. I don't, I don't want any of that. Don't cut me open. Because you're signing your death warrant, right? You, when, when, the, when the doctor is going to bring healing, you want his scalpel to cut. Because you know that his purpose is to bring health and life, Right? Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has injured us, but He will bind up our wounds. After two days, He will revive us. And on the third day, He will restore us, that we may live in His presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge Him. As surely as the sun rises, He will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Uh, we don't have time to get into everything that's in those three verses. There's a lot in those three verses. But we want to grab the main idea, the main thrust of this passage. And it's in the context of, of how Israel had squandered away 
their relationship with the Lord by pursuing idols and all of that stuff, and they had, they had ended up in, a, in a, an absolute mess. And the Lord had to do surgery on an entire nation. This morning, I suggest to you that the Lord wants to do surgery on us as individuals. He wants to do surgery on us as a church. He wants to do surgery in our nation. How many know our nation needs God? Wow, does our nation need God? But there's, there's the need for this willingness to come under the scalpel, to allow the Lord to do His work, to cut away the garbage, to cut away the stuff that needs to go in our hearts. Those of you who are here, those who are watching online, whether, whether you're coming to Jesus this morning for the first time or the 50th time. I have to tell you that it, it will cost you. It will cost you. Anything worth having will cost you. We've become an entitled culture where we expect to be owed everything. The government owes me, my parents owe me, my employer owes me. Newsflash, nobody owes you anything. And every blessing you experience either costs you or costs someone something. If you want a stable career, it will cost you. If you want a thriving business, it will cost you. If you want a good reputation, it will cost you. If you want a healthy family, guaranteed it will cost you. Those who are wise can see past the cost and understand the power of delayed gratification. That if you pay the price now, you will get something of value in return if you see it through to the end. Salvation is no different. It, salvation, yes, is a, is a free gift to come to Jesus. It is a free gift of forgiveness. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a cost. First of all, it cost Jesus everything. But secondly, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. Now when Jesus said that, the cross was not a religious symbol. It was an instrument of death. And it was a shocking thing for Jesus to say. Everyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, he says. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. When we come to Jesus, we surrender our lives to Him. All of our selfish ambitions, all of our greedy desires, everything we thought we knew, everything we thought we wanted, everything we thought we would become, 
We surrender it to Jesus. It is the great exchange. We give Him everything we are, and He gives us everything He is. It costs us everything, but I want to tell you today that I believe it, that the benefit infinitely outweighs the cost. What, is, what are the benefits of knowing Jesus? Well, first and simply, um, of course, the, the, the thing we talk about maybe the most is, is we have forgiveness and freedom from the guilt and pain of our sin. That, that in itself is pretty, pretty awesome, right? We get a fresh start with a clean slate. There, we have access to healing from the brokenness of our past. We have a new identity as a child of the living God. We have a new purpose to live our lives in a way that counts for eternity. We have a new friendship in Jesus who walks with us every day by the presence of His Spirit and He says He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will lead you. He will fill your life with peace and joy that no circumstances can touch. And if you do it right, the life that Jesus offers you is the best and greatest adventure in the world. Every day He plants opportunities and experiences in your path where you can trust Him and see Him work through your life to see people around you touched by the love and the grace of God. Besides all of this, you have the promise that you can know with assurance that when life, this life is over, you will spend eternity in the presence of God. A place of unending peace and joy. And in fact, as we walk this journey, I would say that, that, uh, that the, the presence of God and and heaven itself begins to become more real to us as the years go on than even the things we taste and touch and see around us. So you can try and hold your life together or you can let God undo you. You can let Him do surgery on you because He is the healer. There was a, a guy in, in the Gospels that we, we call the rich young ruler. It's the rich guy who had a position of authority. We don't know, we don't know his name. We don't know what he was ruling. But, but we know he was a powerful, wealthy young man who heard Jesus teach on a number of occasions. And then... We're told as Jesus is leaving one of his teaching moments, um, 
this, this young man runs up to Jesus, throws himself at his feet, and he says, Rabbi, what must I do? Master, what must I do to find eternal life? And so Jesus, playing along, because this guy is, a, is stuck in a, in a religious system of performance, of doing. If I just do, if you just give me one more thing to, you know, um, feat of, of uh, bravery to do, one, one big task to do, then I'll, I'll gain it, I'll earn it. So Jesus plays along and he throws out some of the, the, uh, the, the laws, the Ten Commandments to him. And he says, oh, I've, I've kept all those. And, and Jesus, Jesus, in Mark's gospel, I love, the, I love Mark's version of this, in Mark chapter 10, in Mark's gospel it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. Because Jesus knew what his idol was. And the scripture says, the man went away sad because he had many possessions. The cost for him in his mind was too great. Here's the crazy thing. Jesus let him walk away. It is our choice what our prognosis is. Will we say yes to the healer? Will we say yes to the one who wants to do surgery in our lives? Or will we try to hold our life together? So last week, we talked about this church in Sardis, this letter that Jesus sent to the church in Sardis. And, uh, and we're going to look at it again this week because we're going to do a little deeper dive in some of the, the principles that we find here. So let's, let's read through the six, six verses here. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Everybody say, I've got ears. <laughs> I want to hear. Yeah. 
So, <clears throat> so first of all, uh, Jesus says to this sleeping church, wake up. <laughs> that was great timing, Cletus. <laughs> he just yawned. That was good. <laughs> we got to tag team this thing. Anyways, wake up, shake it off, right? Shake, shake, shake it off, shake it off. So it begins by admitting or recognizing that you have been slumbering or at least dozing off and that you haven't been fully awake. Now again, we can, we can, we can say, oh, that's not me, that's got to be somebody else. We can shovel it over our shoulder, whatever. Your prognosis is up to you. But I want to suggest to you that all of us, all of us can wake up in some place in our hearts. All of us need to awaken. And, and you know what? There is, a, there is a deceiving spirit over the church. And I don't just mean over this church, but over this church too. There is a deceiving spirit over the church, and there was in the church of Sardis, um, to convince us when we're, that we're fine when we're not. Um, we, we find this in the Laodicean church. I want to read a few verses from Jesus' letter a few, just later in the chapter, Revelation chapter 3, to the Laodicean church. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds starts the same way that, uh, that the church in Sardis letter started. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the others. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. Yuck. You say, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. And so, so there, Laodicea was under this deception this deceitful spirit you may say well i'm not deceived it's exactly what someone who's deceived would say right we don't know when we're deceived that's the point of the deception and so we might as well just start from the point jesus i need you to awaken me to your purpose for my life we might as well just start there. Because if you're deceived, you don't even know it. Right? And we may, we may need to, in our lives, even take authority over deceiving spirits. Some of, you, some of you may need to hear this. 
that you may need to take authority over deceiving spirits and, and, uh, and, and demonic, I'm talking about demonic spirits that want to, to, to lie to us and lull us into sleep. You have authority. The Scripture says that you have authority. Jesus said to the disciples, remember when they came back from, from in, in Luke chapter 10, they came back from a, uh, going out two by two, preaching the gospel, and they came back and Jesus said, they said, Master, that we saw, you know, even, even demons listen to us and we, we got to heal people. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And then he went on to say, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy. And when it says serpents and scorpions, it's not talking about little creepy crawly things. It's talking about demonic spirits. I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the evil one. May I suggest to you that if we're not trampling on serpents and scorpions, we're not doing what God has called us to do. And so, you may need to take authority over demonic spirits that, and just tell them to go. My life belongs to Jesus. I've been purchased by His blood. I belong to Him. In the name of Jesus, get out. Right? And take the authority that is yours. It's part of waking up. It's part of coming to the place of saying, I may be under the influence of a slumbering spirit. Right? I think if your heart is towards the Lord, you don't want to sleep through your destiny. You don't want to sleep through God's purpose for your life. You don't want to sleep through what He is up to in the world right now. And the things that He wants to do in the shallower region, in our region. We don't want to sleep through it. God, don't, I, I, I don't want you to have to jump over me to get to someone else who will listen to you. Someone else who will participate with you in what, you're, what you want to do. So wake up. Secondly, Jesus says, strengthen what remains. That's kind of hard to see, sorry. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Um, God, God will empower us. The things that you will accomplish for God aren't going to happen because you're, you're strong or wise or smart or powerful enough. It's going to happen because Jesus is flowing through your life with wisdom and power and understanding. Right? God will do it, but, but we have a part to play too. We need to strengthen our spiritual muscles. What is it that you need to strengthen? What has, when, when someone, if someone's in a coma for six months, they have to learn to walk again when they wake up because their muscles have atrophied. 
They've, they've, they've shriveled from lack of use. And that's the picture we're being given here. Where are your muscles weak from sleep? Right? What do you need to strengthen? Do you need to strengthen prayer? Are you weak in prayer? Well, Laura would say, come to prayer meeting. Right? If you need to strengthen prayer, maybe show up where people are praying and, and, and learn from others how to pray. Um, when was the last time you shared your faith in Christ with someone who needs Jesus? Ooh, that's quiet. Is that not the job Jesus gave us to do? Right? But I, I, would, I would guess it's not happening in our lives nearly as often as it needs to happen. Right? Um, and we're not all called to be evangelists, but we're all called to share our faith. There's a difference, right? Um, we don't have time to get into the difference today, but if you want to know, ask me uh, later. But, um, but if you haven't shared your faith with anyone, it's time to get out of your comfort zone and ask God for the boldness to just begin to speak about Him. It's, I bet you if you have a hobby, you talk about it right? Because it's what you love to do. If, you, if you're a gardener, every conversation leads back to gardening somehow, right? And, and if Jesus is the passion of your heart, every conversation will eventually find its way to Jesus. All right. That's just two examples, but, but what is it for you? Maybe it's do you need to strengthen your peace? You need to strengthen your peace. There, there, are, there are amazing instructions in Scripture how we can strengthen our peace or strengthen your joy. Again, we don't have time to get into, into that today, but, but go, get digging. Whatever it is, I guarantee you there's, there's, there's a pathway of learning how to strengthen those things. Thirdly, re-engage with the mission. It's a great picture of when our team last summer was uh, serving food to, to our city, to those in need. Um, Jesus says in, in his letter to Sardis, he says, I have found your work unfinished, or I've found your deeds unfinished. Unfinished. We said last time, last week, that, that when, we, when we get slumbering, we, we begin to back off of living out the mission of God in our lives. Are you serving in some capacity? We're not consumers, and, this, and the church is not Costco. Right? We don't show up, pay, our, pay our, our tithes, and say, okay, now give me something, give me something good, because I paid for it. Right? Like, it's, we're not consumers. 
We're servants of the King who are brought together for one common mission. So are we serving in that mission somehow? Um, the, uh, if, if you've been MIA, missing in action for a season, it's time to re-engage with the mission. Um, you're going to be hearing a lot in the weeks to come about, about the word teams. That's a code word. It's a code word. When we talk about teams, we're talking about serving. Because when we serve, in, uh, we want to serve together. Everything, Jesus wants everything that we do as a church to be relational. Right? And so when we serve, we do it as a team. And so uh, we're going to be talking about um, get, be, becoming a part of, of some of the teams that we're, we're, we're in the process of reshaping and re, rebuilding some of our teams that kind of, um, you know, went to the wayside during, during COVID. It's time, to, it's time to step it up, right? So we're, we're rebuilding some of those teams. And you're going to hear talk about that in the, in the days to come. So, so ask the Lord, where, where do I fit? How can I serve? What, what is my part to play in the kingdom work that God has called us to do? And then uh, remember. Um, so in, in the letter to, to Sardis, Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard. So we need to be reminded of truth, right? We need to be reminded of truth. But not only, I would say not only biblical truth, many of us in this room have had God speak prophetic destiny over our lives. And we've let the destiny go dormant. Remember what you have received and heard. What does God want to stir up in your heart again? What are the dreams and visions and passions and callings that God had put in your heart that are unfinished? Let Him stir those things up again. Remembering is, remembering is so key. All through Scripture, we, we learn about remember, remember, remember. Throughout the Old Testament, they would put up piles of stones and they would say, this is a place of remembrance. This is an Ebenezer. That means stone of remembrance. This is a, this is a, we put this here so that we will remember what God did. Then when we get to Judges, we... You know, if you've been following, we just kind of came out of Judges a little while ago if you're doing the Scripture reading with us. And, and there's a cycle of forgetting, forgetting, forgetting. <laughs> right? They, they forgot the, the power, the majesty, the goodness, the love of God who rescued them out of Egypt. We need to remember. Right? And, and so, um, God says in in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Verse 4 of 
Revelation chapter 2, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember from where you have fallen. So, so some of us might say, when I, when I look back at when I first came to Jesus, or when I look back 10 weeks ago, 10 years ago, 10 decades ago, whatever. When I look back at when I first came to Jesus, wow, it was a passion in my heart. I fervently wanted to live for Him. I, I just, you know, there was no holding back. I just went all out for Him. But now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still faithful. But where's the passion? Where's the zeal? Where's the determination to push through every obstacle for the sake of serving Jesus, right? Remember the height from which you have fallen. You've lost your first love, the love you had at first. And he says, repent and do the things you did at first. How do I get back there? I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for God to just zap me with that passion again. No. It's not how it works. We, we lead our feelings by stepping, in, stepping out and being obedient. Just doing what... He says, do the things you did at first. The passion will follow as you lead your feelings. We are, we are immature people when we let our feelings lead us. We need to lead our feelings. We need to step out. We need to do the things we did at first. Um, and then repent. I won't spend a long time on this one because in two weeks we're going to do a deep dive on this one. But uh, the word repent is, the word, is a word that means to, to, to rethink, to change your mind. Um, we don't like to change our mind, do we? <laughs> a lot of political debates going on these days between people who don't want to change their mind. Um, we're, we're not... We're not great at changing our mind. But this life that Jesus calls us to is a life of humility and repentance. Another picture of repentance is, is the picture that's up there of a, of a U-turn. Um, when we're going the wrong direction, you know, and we find out that we're going the wrong direction, um, we've had some conversations in our car from time to time. 
about going the right or wrong direction. And, and I always know where I am. I always know where I'm going. I'm always going the right direction. <laughs> but sometimes that gets questioned, right? And, and sometimes over the years, I've doubled down and say, no, I know I'm going the right direction. But if I'm going the wrong direction, that's not going to help anybody. If I just double down and say, no, I'm, I know I'm going the right direction. Guys, sometimes we do have to pull over and ask directions. Or we do have to pull out Google Maps and ask directions. Right? And folks, we need to... We need to be sure that we're going the right direction. Because the right direction will take us to glory and the wrong direction will not. So, I'm going to ask you to stand. If, if you take anything away from this morning, take away that scalpel image. And take away the fact, the truth, that God is a good God who has your very best at heart and that he wants to do surgery not to harm you not ever to harm you but to bring you life and your prognosis and my prognosis in this journey of waking from our slumber and coming alive to everything that God desires for us the prognosis is largely up to us. The stuff that's on God's side, He's already done. And He's waiting for us. And so, whether we are willing to surrender to the scalpel, to surrender to His work in our hearts, it's up to us. I want to pray, and, uh, and then we want to make opportunity for, um, if you want to respond to the Lord, we're just going to put on some, some worship music in the background. You, if you need to go, then, then feel free to go, but um, we're going to have some music playing um, on the video. And, uh, and just allow this to be a space of response to the Lord this morning. You, can, you don't have to step forward, but you can. Watch, watch your distance with each other. But uh, 
uh, you can step forward. If you want to respond where you are, that's okay too. But let's, let's pray. God, God, I thank you that you are trustworthy. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. I thank you that, God, your intention toward us is good. And I ask that you would come meet us in this place today and in the days to come, that you would reveal to our hearts, God, what it is we need to surrender to you, where it is we have fallen into a slumber, that you would speak to us and challenge us and encourage us to surrender our hearts and our lives to you fully and completely. God, we need you today. Come and meet us in this place, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Pam just uh, reminded me of something I was going to share with you. Um, God, so uh, just, just uh, about a minute and a half. Um, as as we've been going through this journey, the Lord started to speak to me um, a few weeks ago uh, about setting aside a time to fast, um, to really, really give my attention to the Lord to hear what He wants to say. Um, starting, so, so after Mother's, next Sunday is Mother's Day, starting that Monday is three weeks, 21 days to Pentecost Sunday. And, uh, and as your pastor, I just want you to know that, that I'm going to be doing a liquid-only fast for, for three weeks leading up to Pentecost. And I don't expect anyone to necessarily do, do that whole journey with me, but I would invite you, if you are interested in fasting for a day, a couple days in that, in that time period or whatever you'd like to do, I believe this is a time to lean in and listen to the Lord. I believe He has something that He wants to, to, to do and pour out upon us. I'm looking towards Pentecost Sunday just as a marker to say, God, pour out Your Spirit in a fresh way upon us. And so I'm setting aside that time. Uh, I invite you to join with me um, in that journey in as much as you feel led to do. Pray about it, um, but pray for me that I will be hearing the Lord clearly as I, as I do that. So thank you.